0: Welcome everyone, it's been a, a couple of weeks since our last episode, but um, we are here for a very special episode because, uh, you know, this is, this is the time of year where we start to get into the break, the summer break, the, the players and coaches are all off doing their own thing, and um, and all, that also gives us the time to do our own thing too. So, uh, But before we get into the little lull period... Um, We wanted to do something that we've never done before. And uh, making his Bills beat debut and his swan song. And not only do we get one Rodak, we get two Rodaks uh, uh, on the pod today. Not Rodak's mom. Not Rodak's mom, unfortunately. (laughs) But Mike Rodak... Of uh, ESPN, has covered the Bills for the last six years, has never been on the Bills beat. We always tell them, hey, you know what, Mike? Just not this week. Just not this week before we go in and record. But
1: seeing as how it's your last week, I feel like it's the week. I just feel like you ran out of guests, and now you've <laughs> reached the bottom of the list, and here I am. Well, the funny thing is we've had, like, maybe
0: three guests total.
2: Ah. Well. yeah, we don't <laughs> often do guests, but we made a, a special exception. Yes, but so. when you do, you do it well.
0: Yes. So welcome to the Bills Beat. I know this is a big honor for you.
1: Yes, it is is a great honor. I think everybody's wondering who the other Rodak is. Yes. And it is my very handsome son, Harry Rodak, who is sitting with us and staring down the host of this podcast.
0: Well, he's staring me down because I said it's your first and last time on the podcast. He's 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 wondering what's going on. So, yes, Mike Rodak is with us. Um, for those that don't know, Mike will be leaving the Bills beat, um, moving down to Alabama and, uh, and where he and his family are moving down to. And, um, yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna be living the Bama life from here on out. And, uh, but before he goes and just up and leaves us, we wanted to take a, you know, maybe a, a broader view mm-hmm. of the team this year, and then maybe to get into a little bit, uh, more of a trip down memory lane with this Bills team and, and what they've been in, in the years that uh, we've covered that. Maybe some a funny story or two I'm sure will we'll pop up. But um, before we do anything, I know th- this is a kind of a, a, a Bill season that a lot of people have differing opinions of. Like some fans are expecting playoffs or they think they better make the playoffs or people should be fired. And others are like, okay, well this is the first year they've actually got some – some amount of talent, mm-hmm. and you know maybe they make some progress, but not a whole heck of a lot. Where do you guys kind of land? And Mike, since it's your first time on the pod,
1: I'll, I'll let you kick it off. Well, I think it's a, it's going. I know hey, Harry. Harry has an opinion too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and Hudson as, as does <laughs> Hudson, but I think there are varying opinions, um, and I think that's going to be the story of the season: is how. A, the Bills frame their expectations, which they sort of have to this point, but I don't know if – like, I think we'll get – you guys will get more into that by training camp, kind of where people expect the team, where the team expects itself. Um, but I think there's going to be sort of a, a conflict there uh, between people, uh, Bills fans, that, like you said, is this team supposed to make the playoffs? Or are they supposed to win nine or ten games? And when you go out and sign – 17, 18 free agents.
2: Is that supposed to be the end product? That's a bit above average, 17 to 18, You know, by it, the way. it seems like they've been guarding against expectations all off season, which oh, yeah. is natural because low expectations mean job security. High expectations that you fail to meet mean people get fired. And I don't think they're quite ready to... It doesn't seem like they're quite ready to embrace... Those high expectations that a lot of people have. But I
1: feel like it's still, I feel like they still tempered things down a little bit more the last two years than they have this year. Or at least it could be a product of our questions. I don't know if we really asked them as many questions about it. Because like two years ago, there was a Sammy Watkins trade and a Darby trade. And um, I think, yeah, you sort of had more (laughs) um, reason to believe that they weren't going for it right away. And then last year, you have a rookie quarterback. And I think naturally that's going to. again temper expectations this year i feel like people want to see a step forward and again i think the the question is going to be how big of a step forward is expected or um, is something that fans need to see and i think that's going to vary from fan to fan i think it's going to might even vary from the fan base to the team itself and that's going to be the story if they only win 7 or 8 games that is an improvement from last year sure. but it's not going to get them in the playoffs and, nine and we, games might not either.
0: Yeah, and we've kind of talked about this before. Like
1: six and ten
0: can have a lot of different looks. Mm-hmm. It just depends on how they get to it, or maybe even seven and nine. If if Josh Allen looks like he's just tossing it around and with no regard for the football, and they still somehow get get to seven wins because the defense is that good, then yeah, there's gonna be obvious questions about how this regime kind of has the ability to develop offensive talent because we know they can develop the defense. We've we've seen it the last or last year anyway, and certainly there were signs of it in the first year of Sean McDermott and Brandon being being there. But I, I think if they even go, let's say, five and eleven and Josh Allen looks like he's got something to it, has some legs, then that even feels different than that 7 and 9 I just talked about. Both are not in the playoffs, but you would almost I would argue you would almost feel better at 5 and 11 if your quarterback is making a market improvement than say 7 and 9 and having the defense be, being able to do it.
1: Yeah, that's going to play a lot into it, kind of how Josh is. I mean, kind of a subset of that. I think there's going to be a little bit of conflict, I think, between what people want to see out of Josh Allen and what I think the Bills want to see out of him because people want to see that gunslinging Josh Allen who's an exciting runner and he's going to chuck it up deep to Robert Foster and John Brown. This is mm-hmm. going to be high-flying offense. He's going to be like his idol, Brett Favre, where I think the Bills kind of want to see him reel it in a little bit because they they've talked about it pretty openly that they don't want him to run as much. Um, You don't want him to be the leading rusher again, I think was the quote either being a McDermott at the end of the year. I think that's a pretty
0: safe thing to want, though. Right. To not have your
1: quarterback be the leading rusher. Right. But beyond that, I think they want him to sort of take what's in front of him a little bit more. Um, He did have some of the, or really the longest, uh, air yards per pass last year. I think maybe Jameis Winston only had more. And if you look at the last 10 years, he's right in the top three. So he's taken a lot of chances deep. He's not checking down very much. And you know, last year you could blame that on some of the guys who he might have been checking down too, the Logan Thomases and Kelvin Benjamins and Andre Holmes at World. Now that they've improved at some of those positions, theoretically, maybe they want him throwing to Cole Beasley for five yards over the middle instead of, trying to gun it deep to John Brown and what does he want to do what does Josh right. Allen think he is that's the perfect
0: thing will he actually take advantage of Cole Beasley I think right. that that's that's kind of an unknown because he's never really had a guy like that even going back to Wyoming
2: it, it's not a strength of his what Cole Beasley does well necessarily I mean Cole Beasley going to rely on timing uh, patterns and and you know seeing the coverage and getting open underneath and Josh Allen hasn't yet shown that he can, you know, be productive uh, in that area of the field. And I think that's part of why he became the type of quarterback he did towards the end of the year and why the offense looked the way it did with a lot of deeper routes and almost his legs being the checkdown option. Mm-hmm. And you can win that way, but you also, you know, in order to have a more complete and, you know, sort of dynamic offense, I think, you don't pay Cole Beasley all that money if if you're not going to throw him the ball, and uh, and you're certainly, you know, you're certainly betting on Josh Allen improving in that area by getting Cole Beasley because it's not it's not so much like oh he has Cole Beasley he'll automatically be better in that area because he has a better target it, because accuracy is the issue and Cole Beasley's not a very big dude.
0: No, he certainly isn't. Um, not so, the receivers are.
2: No, they're not. I mean.
0: John Brown is a small dude. I was surprised when I saw him in person. You know he's who their biggest small their biggest receiver is right now that's scheduled to make the roster? Zay Jones. Zay Jones. Right. And he's, he's gotten huge. bigger. It's only because but he got bigger over the offseason. He's only what, 6-1. Yeah,
2: 6-1, 6-1 or 6-2. 1, 220,
0: I think he's up to now.
2: Mm. So they don't, but it's funny because they had Andre Holmes and Kelvin Benjamin, and In the storm Andre didn't had, really work out. Andre so.
0: Holmes was a five foot eleven receiver that masqueraded as six foot four
1: right. but yeah. we always heard about catch radius and how when you have a quarterback like Josh, you want a, a guy with a big catch radius and you can just throw it to him. That's what we heard with Kelvin Benjamin. They tried catch radius right that didn't work. It's they almost say that now they Cole want Easily
2: will end up with having a better catch radius than. Kelvin Benjamin because yeah. you can go and get the football whereas Kelvin Benjamin you kind of had to hit him in the area where he didn't have to move yeah there wasn't a <laughs> lot of fluidity with with Kelvin
0: Benjamin mm-hmm. but I guess what um, Mike since you really don't have any skin in the game now what are you expecting out of this team this year
1: I think something less than what the fan base is expecting but something better than last year what do you think the fan base is expecting you if you go on, onto Twitter and sometimes I make the mistake of doing that. The Twitter bubble. <laughs> then I think 9 to 10 wins is what you hear a lot in I wild th- card. I think that that is a little bit optimistic. Right. I think 7 to 8 is where I would pick them. And again, I don't think... It isn't. That's not going to make it the playoffs unless Mm-mm. you're in a terrible division like the NFC West in 2008. That's the only time it's going to work.
2: At the moment, I think they look like a 7 or 8 win team. But I also don't think fans are totally unfair... Expecting or wanting 9 or 10 wins. No, like, I don't I, think so either. I think year three mm-hmm. with a head coach and general manager, year two with a quarterback. I mean, you look around the league at what some other teams have done in that situation, and they've improved quite a bit. Some contended for Super Bowls. So, I mean, is Josh Allen going to make a big enough jump for them to be a 9 or 10 win team? I don't know. I, I'm not convinced that he will, but I, I'm also not blaming fans for setting the bar there because i think you're hitting the point in this regime where you have to start setting the bar higher because you can't just be okay being a a six and seven win team and then go into year four and the pressure would really be on assuming they survive that which i think they would but again it all depends on how you get there if you get there with within fighting or anything else that can develop when things start to go sideways that's where i think this is going to be interesting is it's easy to have a good relationship when there's no expectations Mm -hmm. and you know you're kind of in the early stages of of tearing down the roster and, and building it back up and you have all this time and there's no jobs on the line but when there's jobs on the line and when you know there's blame that starts to go around and outside expectations start to you know, close the walls in a little bit, that's when you find out the type of relationship you have. And I think Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have a good one, but, you know, it hasn't really been tested, I don't, I don't think. Even last year when things went poorly, everybody knew, you know, rookie quarterback injuries were, right. were hurting them. Obviously, they screwed up the quarterback situation, but it wasn't like they were going to be a playoff team if they didn't do that. So, right. it, you know, now that there's expectations and there there could be some, some pressure and and jobs on the line, I think that's where, you know, you really start to learn about, you know, these guys and and how they work together.
1: Well, let's not forget early last year when, not even when they were 2-7, and when they were bad in, like, September, a lot of the Vegas odds gave Sean McDermott either the best or the second-best chances to be fired or to be the next coach fired. And obviously that was a little bit off-base because I think everybody around here understood where he was at in terms of, Expectations versus his, his point in his tenure, but um, right now he's fifteen and seventeen as an NFL head coach. If they go seven and nine this year, he's going to be one more game below five hundred. Uh, I have to do the math: twenty two and um, what's, what's what happened? What happened? What's to your seventeen plus nine. Twenty two and twenty six. I mean, a, a fourth year coach going to his fourth year who's twenty two and twenty six who hasn't made the playoffs in two years under normal circumstances, not Buffalo ending the playoff drought, you know, ha- sort of the way they framed it here, but just a generic NFL head coach who enters his fourth year, 22 and 26, with one playoff appearance in his first year. A is, does he stay? Does he even get into the fourth year? B is he on the hot seat? The hot seat in his fourth year, <laughs>
2: I think, clearly. I Absolutely. And I, right. I think, you know, what's funny is, like, you go into these seasons, even going into last year, everybody knew everybody was safe mm-hmm. through year two. Like, I think that was even more understood than it is right now. But when they were struggling, I think, to the Colts game, there was a lot of criticism from fans. Mm. There, All of a sudden, the, the whole expectations... Oh, yeah. You know, start to get out of whack when they're actually playing games and they're struggling and things aren't going well. There's more pressure, and I don't think any of that came from ownership or anything like that. I think they were getting through year two if they went one and 15. But I think this year, you know, everybody's thinking they're still safe going into year three, and they probably are. Uh, but. If they start losing football games, people get impatient quickly because mm-hmm. it's easy to look at things in the offseason and take that long-term approach. But when it's week-to-week week and games are being played and games are so close in the NFL and there's so much parity that you, know, you start to feel left out uh, of the shuffle a little bit if you're not one of those teams making an improvement. Sometimes they're not, though. Sometimes the games aren't close. Like
1: last year when exactly. the Bills got blown out by the Ravens and the— uh, the Colts and the Bears and at the Chargers to some extent, I mean, if they start doing that again this year, then watch the fuck out. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Welcome
2: and to the pod, They're <laughs> in Trouble.
1: Um, well, what I was going to Cover your it, ears,
2: um, Harry.
0: <laughs> one of Rodak's questions before we started recording was, is there swearing on this podcast? Mm-hmm. And we said absolutely it goes to is. show you
1: if i have listened to the podcast or not. <laughs> i know but i have i have made it clear that i am uh i do not discriminate against any particular podcast i just don't listen to podcasts yeah. in general yeah i we would rather listen way. to uh to music just it, how i'm wired i guess i don't know and different power to maybe watch you know what maybe when i'm gone and i i'm not around it on a work basis and i don't want to listen to work when i'm not at work true maybe if i'm not working. I'm a house husband. Are you, saying, are you saying you're going to subscribe to the Bills Beat? Maybe I will. Wow. How do you subscribe to a podcast? You oh, wow. You have a little app and you have to... Do you, you have you have an iPhone, right? I do. Okay. I, I have never subscribed to a podcast. Th- then you
0: click on podcasts and you search the podcast you Ooh, want.
1: Okay. That sounds easy enough. Yeah, it very much
0: is. That's why... You're going to have to keep up okay. with the Tim Graham
2: show somehow. Yeah, also. Yeah. Also true. That's a good
0: point. Um, what I was going to say is the... Just... By going off the vibe you get from McDermott and Bean, they don't really give off a an air of feeling like they're in any sort of trouble. Not at all. And they, they feel, it, it almost feels like this is this year is just that first building block into what they want to get into. And it almost feels like that they're just kind of playing with house money right now. And 2020 2020 is the year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ending the drought, and not to mention, punting on drafting a quarterback in their first year because they didn't have a GM, which which we've we've gone over, was part to do with an ownership problem because they couldn't cut the cord with Doug Whaley early enough, Um, but because they didn't draft a quarterback that first year, because they made the playoffs and, and they went for it that first year, it's bought them time to start that real rebuild in the second year. So now this year is their de facto second year, and next year will be the one where they get judged on. At least that's the way they're coming across it's right quite
2: now. And um, it's quite the luxury that they have, the patience they're getting from ownership and, and the long leash that they're getting, because it's really not common um you know we i think i've brought up the example of you know gus bradley and dave caldwell in jacksonville but they waited around for four years with the same idea you know hitting the reset button tearing the roster down building it back up getting their quarterback sometimes you're patient for the sake of being patient and it doesn't work out so that's where You know, we're entering this weird in-between zone. Like you said, this is the first year where there's Mm -hmm. some legitimate expectations, but there's also, I think, an understanding in the building, at least, that it's not necessarily do or die for them. It really isn't.
1: I'm sure, like Doug Whaley, felt pretty safe. What was it after the 2015 season when he signed a was it five year extension? (laughs) <laughs> and uh, it was like the last week of that season Because there was questions about Rex Even after the first year And the Pagool has put out a statement Saying Rex would be back And they signed Whaley to an extension And you can even look at that 2015 draft for Whaley Like, oh, I just got Ronald Darby Who finished second and Rookie of the Year And Carlos Williams was a steal in the fifth round And uh, he was probably feeling pretty good And then he was gone You know, basically a year later You would call that offseason mm-hmm. His, you know, was he truly here But Um, I I would argue he wasn't.
2: Well, it also kind of brings up the question of, and obviously we're going way down the line here, but, you know, who, Brandon Bean, I don't think has the power to to fire Sean McDermott. No. No. And, you know, vice versa would be true as well. And so that's where, you know, the whole pecking order gets a little interesting, um, you know, if things go sideways. Obviously, you know, Sean McDermott has brought up too that, you know, some of that relationship can be tested by success and who mm-hmm. wants credit and and all things like that. So I don't know. It's an interesting philosophical discussion and one that you know, ownerships had it pretty easy. Uh, I think right you know, to be able to say, oh, we got these guys we really like and we're going to be patient with them and let them do their thing. Uh, but being an owner gets a lot tougher when. You know, you get into that, that gray area and you're not sure whether you've got got the right guys. And this will be a big year in determining, you know, if they do.
0: Now let's look at it on the flip side. Can this team, the way that it's constructed, the way that the AFC is, which it's probably weak, could the Bills flip everybody's script and surprise people and be right there for a wild card spot by, by the end of it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think yeah, so as well. I think they can. Um, I. I think it's going to take several things coming together. First of which is health, and I think this spring we've already seen. I don't know. There's just
2: some years we can tell the teams it's going to be banged up, and with all if the injuries pretty this lucky spring, right? With injuries the, the first couple of years, remarkable. whether it's lucky or good. I mean, I tend to think injuries are. Mostly luck. Right. Obviously, the training staff can help, but you can't but they have been pretty fortunate. And so, Especially
0: with the offensive line, and their offensive line was like begging for
1: <laughs>
2: an injury. Exactly, Outside yeah, of Imagine, imagine I can't what, remember one. what it would have looked like with with a few injuries. Right. I mean, they've had a the couple, u.s
1: man games lost last year,
2: is what I think what Bean said. The year before, I want to say, is similar, too. So you're right. Health is going to be a big thing. I mean, it's becoming... Uh, cliche to say but obviously a lot of it depends on Josh right and if he takes a big jump I don't see any reason why they shouldn't push for a wild card spot and I think that's where you know especially if this defense holds to where it was you know is one of the best in the league or even gets better then you know there there should be every expectation of that especially like you brought up in this AFC that mm-hmm. It's not that impressive uh, of a conference outside of you know, the Patriots and who else at this point. Kansas City, Kansas yeah, I mean, City, you got to give them with Mahomes. Even but then what the hell no, is Tyree the Bill AFC North? Hunt.
0: Like what's what's that going to be? Like, and that's every- the
2: division the Bills play against. They everyone play against want, everyone wants
0: everyone wants to think that Cleveland's going to take this huge jump, but we still haven't seen I mean, them. I the Steelers I think are still a good team. Yeah,
1: Roethlisberger,
2: but they've got a lot of questions. Yeah, and yeah, the do. the Browns are a team that people are fearing and thinking that they could make that jump, but it's not a guarantee with some of the personalities they have in that locker room mm-hmm. and. Um, an unproven coach, so the there's whole,
1: a you still have some good quarterback, Andrew Luck, Deshaun yeah, sure. Watson.
2: You have teams that
1: they if they if those teams won 11 or 12 games, they want to shock me. How
0: good is Deshaun Watson though? <laughs> Hudson is
2: yeah, evidently not that. very good, according <laughs> to Hudson. <laughs> Hudson's out <laughs> right. on Deshaun Deshaun, Deshaun. Deshaun Watson also does not have an offensive line, and they did right. next to nothing to address that this offseason, which I think is part of why Brian gang got fired. Um, in sort of unexpected fashion. But um, it's interesting because, you know, there's a lot of these teams in the middle ground that you don't really, uh, right. you don't know what to expect. And the Bills are now one of those teams. I don't think you can just continue to expect them to be at the the bottom of the standings like, you know, most people have the last couple of years. not really
1: sure if there is a team in the AFC, though, that would really, I mean, the Dolphins. But besides that, is there really a team you can say is in the bottom tier? Bengals. I've always just felt... I don't know. Like I, I'm not a believer in Andy Dalton, but I think he's a decent quarterback. Like I'd still put him above Josh Allen. I mean, given the way Josh Allen played last year, I don't think it puts him above Andy Dalton. Um, that's not to say the Bengals are really a contender. I just don't know if they're like in the same deep hole as the Dolphins are. I'd almost put honestly. It sounds a little crazy. The Raiders. I think the Raiders might be in that bottom tier. Like oh, why would that be crazy?
2: They still don't have yeah, a quarterback. They don't. And they don't, their right. defense is pretty questionable. They're still they still run by trade John away Rudy.
1: Amari Cooper, they traded away Kilomack. They've Which, got Hard Knocks. Right. Once they're they're going to
2: be interesting. They're going to be Antonio Brown and yeah. a Richie. team that you can't turn your eyes away from, but I'm not sure they're going to be a very good team. Richie that's another te- <laughs> that's another regime that's got a long leash and or a head coach at least that has a really long leash mm-hmm. and you wonder if it's justified. I
0: don't, I don't think Denver's going to be all that good this year either.
2: Yeah, that's probably a good call as well.
0: Joe Flacco, their talent has been going down the tubes a bit. They they're basically flipping over their entire receiver core. I mean, it's they just lost uh, Matt Paradis in free agency and didn't really do much to replace him. They they signed Juwan James, who's an okay offensive tackle. I mean, their defense is still pretty good, it, but I mean. Is anyone trusting Joe Flacco to go out there and sling it around to get, get
1: you some 9 or 10 wins to get I'd the i put playoffs? the Bills in the same category, like yeah. the Jags, the Titans, the Jets. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. Maybe slightly ahead of the Bengals, but I don't know. Bengals slightly? Can still, the Bengals can still win a few games. Like, yeah. The, um, the Ravens Bengals are, are one of those bad teams. The Bengals have A.J. Green. I mean, they have some decent players.
2: The Ravens are going to be one of those teams, I think, too, because they've yeah. had some turnover and... Lamar Jackson isn't, you know, any more proven at this point than Josh Allen is. No. You know, he got a playoff appearance and all that, but you know they had an incredible defense and you know good good team around him. So he's got a lot to prove as well. And there's that's where there's there's so much uncertainty in the conference that you I think know, we're forgetting one good won. team though the Chargers. I mean they went to the AFC Championship. Yeah, so, yeah. And, and Philip Rivers uh, is He's not slowing down anytime soon.
1: Yeah, the Chargers, the Chiefs, the Colts, the Patriots. I'd still put the
2: Steelers in there. I think. Big I don't Panthers... think I would. I consider them a, a contender, yeah. but not a lock. Right. Um, the to North. Be is, in the playoffs. The
0: North is just weird this year because I don't know what to make heads or tails of Pittsburgh. Cleveland mm-hmm. is supposed to be good because they added a bunch of talent, but if that thing goes sideways at the beginning, they've got a lot of personalities in that locker room that will kind of go haywire a little bit. It's already
2: been a little bit weird with certain reports coming out about things Baker Mayfield said that are pissing off his teammates. And, you know, that's where I'm really excited to watch that football team, don't get me wrong, and I think they're going to be good, and I'm probably going to pick Baker Mayfield in a lot of my fantasy football leagues. (laughs) But, like, it's a very, uh, you know, volatile situation. Like, it could go really well, or it could could blow up. And in Cleveland it's blown up way more often than it's gone well so yes. it's you can't assume much of anything out of them
0: all right so i feel like we've kind of exhausted this i want to go and do a more fun thing that we kind of discussed what kind of or the stories that you recall fondly of being on the beat or just just some funny like Stuff that you don't really get into all that much because it's not really relevant. Um, Mike, what was your first year covering the beat? 2013. 2013. So that was Marone's first year.
1: That was Marone's first year. I was here for a week of training camp before I officially started. And that was the week when Kevin Cobb was running in between practice fields at Fisher. The training camp mat. Yeah. There used to be the rubber mats in between, like, on that tunnel between the fields. And Kevin Cobb slipped on one and sprained his MCL, whatever it was, and he was out. Well, I believe he tried to, like, jump for some reason and then just
0: completely slipped.
1: Yeah. I hate to see that. And, And then he was out, and then he came back later in the preseason, and he got a concussion against the Redskins. Yeah, got knocked right out. And he never played again. Right. And so Cobb was out for the that was count. a bad hit too. I remember it like right. someone
0: hit hit his helmet with with the dude's knee, and it, mm-hmm. he was just he was just done. He hasn't played again. No. He uh, hasn't. So
1: that left them with EJ Manuel and Jeff Tool, who were both rookies. EJ being the first round pick, Jeff Tool being the undrafted rookie who won like one game the year before at Washington State. <laughs> and so great then guy Jeff Tool. Yeah, I was still it. back in Boston. Typical Road Act, and that <laughs> August before I officially started Labor Day weekend, so I was out with Ben Volen, who just started at the Boston Globe, replacing Albert Breer, I think. Humble brag. Or Greg Bedard. Uh eh, saying you were <laughs> hanging out with Ben Volen isn't a humble brag. <laughs> and, and and so I was just trying to have a beer, you know, nice summer day, and things started happening with the Bills. I think first was EJ, and they announced like out of the blue that he needed knee surgery. Oh. That was like a week or two before the season. And then after that, okay, so now all the Bills had left was Jeff Toole. The only healthy quarterback was an undrafted rookie, and they were they sure playing did. Patriots in week one. And they like, oh, we got some more quarterbacks. So they traded the linebacker, Chris White, to the Lions for Thad Lewis. Chris White, Mississippi State sixth-round yeah. pick. Yep. And the same day, they signed Matt Leiner. And Ooh. so that final preseason game – they sat Jeff Tool. They sat the undrafted rookie because they didn't want him to get hurt because they thought he was gonna to have to start week one against the Patriots. <laughs> and Welcome to the beat. They played <laughs> they played Thad Lewis and Matt liner And Matt liner I think, went 0 for 7 or 1 for 7 with like three picks. And that was when somebody caught him walking off the field on their camera, like after the game, saying to Reggie Bush who was playing for the Lions. That's where they're playing in the final preseason game, and saying like, "Oh, I'm done," which I don't think he ever played again either. <laughs> he certainly did not. So, and he was correct, yeah, right? Right? He he, he certainly he, was done. He called his shot, and now luckily right. for the Bills, EJ Manuel came back in week one. Oh yeah, thank God! They actually, luckily. they actually came close to winning that game. The Patriots won on a last-second field goal, I Steven Gagliardi. And then week two of that season was when EJ the beat Panthers. 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 Yeah. And, well, it was. He got intercepted in the red zone and then was called back on a Luke Kuechly, pass interference, and then he threw the touchdown to Stevie.
0: That game is also the one that spurred on Riverboat Ron. It is. Because he didn't go for it like fourth and inches. They kicked a field goal, and then EJ and the Bills drove it down for a TD and won the game. Everybody thought Ron was going to get fired that year. He was on the hot seat. right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So everybody loved EJ after that game, but I remember writing the column – right after it, saying, well, there are some things not to really like about that game, even though EJ won. That's when everybody started, I think, to really hate me. It was my <laughs> second game. My second game covering the team where I said, even though their first round rookie quarterback, who everybody was jacked about, sucked. Yeah. And, well, guess who was right. Yeah, no. <laughs> but that wasn't even... I mean, the 2013 <laughs> season, holy crap, like, going to Toronto in December that year... You never went to Toronto, did you? No, like that series was done right when you got to the
2: 2013, yeah, I was still in college, and so 2014 was my first year, and they pulled the plug on the mm. Toronto thing for the best. Kind of a bummer, they had so many shitty games that year.
1: The Toronto game, when was they, it? The Atlanta game or the Seattle? The Atlanta game. game. So yeah. it was. I forget the order of things. It was either Stevie or Scott Chandler. They both fumbled. One of them was the yep. final drive of the fourth quarter that would have won it. They go to overtime. They start driving again, which obviously would have won it. Because of the rules back then, and then the other guy fumbled. And the Falcons ended up picking a field goal to win it, which was I just a I forgot that loss.
2: Stevie was still on the team at that point. Yeah, yeah. It felt like he was long gone by the time I yeah, got Yeah, I I, I
1: I got here like with the the shambles of that Chan Gailey Fitz offense that showed some promise. Like I I, I was I here for that. I didn't cover Fitz, I didn't cover Gailey, but I but covered Fitz Stevie
2: was on the team the year before. Right. And got let go, and
0: they were also of the belief that they were getting Fitzpatrick back. Right, and, and that then was they, like
2: Nate Hackett's belief. That's what he thought. Yeah, and that he's like, oh, I'm going to get to work with Fitz because right. he loves Fitz. And, and then, then they then, cut him like three weeks they after
0: they they hired the Marone and, and Hackett and everybody. And that's right. kind of when
2: you know, yeah. uh, In terms of you know the relationship we talked about earlier, is sure Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are going to be tested, but it's not like. It was, with Doug Whaley and right. the constant power struggle with well, every head coach. That was an that opening crosses. salvo, if I've ever seen one. Right. You like, know, drawing oh, a line in the sand. Welcome, like, welcome
0: aboard, Doug.
2: Yeah.
0: I'm going to rip away your quarterback. Well, and then you're going to play this rookie
1: quarterback. How about it?
2: You but don't really, worry, you'll have Jeff Toole.
1: Right. You could really tell things were getting bad with them. The, the second offseason, or the first offseason I was here, the second offseason of Doug Marone. Which was so it was a draft twenty fourteen draft when Doug Whaley, you know, got a stiffy and traded for Sammy Watkins and <laughs> traded the entire house. Michael wrote Which everyone. later people would say, like, Doug Marone was not too keen on that trade. They gave up their first round pick in twenty fifteen to do it. I will say not many were keen on that trade. No. I loved the player. The trade was Well, a bit at the much. time. Right. I mean, Fans loved it. Fans like, oh, they were pretty. Well, sure, because you Sammy get the Walkers. player, and he's a, and he's a yeah, shiny new toy. It's right. very you exciting. You got to
2: talk yourself into it, but right. in a historically good wide receiver class, right? Giving up a future first round pick, uh, one in which that they loved, one
0: Odell Beckham Jr. By the way, they loved him at nine, but right. but you know who is the apple of, uh, or who Sammy Watkins, what had the uh, the eyes of,
2: Russ Brandon. Oh, of course, Russ Brandon. Loved yeah, you him had. Some just, you tell he who was, was in just the marketing guy, though. Yeah,
1: right. But you can tell like who was in charge. It was Russ and his boy Whaley, and Marone was probably you know a little bit on the outskirts. So it was this day, the day of the second night of the draft, when Doug Marone came into the media room out of the blue and asked us, "Hey, does anybody want to get a beer?" I think Harry wants a beer, and so of course a few of us are like, "Oh yeah, we we'll, go we'll get a beer." So he went to the Big Tree. Yeah. And it I was me, it was story. me, John Warrow, Sal Mayorana, I think, were the three. And I think all of us had our backs to the T V, except Marone. And Marone just pulls out like a wad of like hundred dollar bills or whatever it was and starts like you know, I I got this guys. And he orders all these wings and beer. And so on the T V it was Schefter with like ESPN's coverage before the draft and that's when they traded Stevie. So it was right after the day after they right. traded for Sammy Watkins and picked him. And then I read right, Stevie Johnson we need to get rid of. So, Adam Schefter came on the TV and said the Bills have traded Stevie Johnson. All of us had our phones down. We weren't really looking at them, so we didn't see the tweet. And it was just Doug Marone pointing at the TV and saying, Hey, hey, the Bills just traded Stevie Johnson. <laughs> and we're like, turning around. We're like, Ah, oh,
0: holy hell. Like, I hope you tell that? the most important part of the story. Well, so
1: then the <laughs> next, so then John Waro's sitting there. He's like, Well, he's like, Can you confirm? That's what he asked Doug Marone. And Marone picks up his phone, looks at it. He's like, yeah, they haven't texted me yet. <laughs> like, all right. That that wasn't even the detail I was talking
0: about. It was the hurry mode once, once oh, you guys learned. So, yeah. So
1: then we're all scrambling. Oh, we got to go write a story here. So I think Warrow leaves. I'm like, sorry, Doug. Like, I got to go. He's like, yeah, I got it. Like, I'll, you know, I'll take care of it. So I had driven Doug Marone the 50 feet or whatever mm. to the big tree from the facility. And, um,. And then so he needed a way back. He ended up walking back from the big tree, going into the PR office, and complaining that I had left him behind at the big tree. That asshole. Classic, Doug or not. So.
0: Uh, that, I mean, Doug was, Doug was a real treat. That was also the year of the eye roll. And I don't know that I've ever told the
2: story about the eye roll. No, the eye roll was, I was there for the eye roll. I was that was 2014. Right we're, we're talking about 2014. Right. Well, yeah, technically that was the 2014 draft. Right. So yeah, that was before yeah, you got that there. That was before you got there. The air roll during the season. Yeah, the, yes, the 2014. The 2014 season.
0: season. Yeah. And, and I don't know that I've ever said this on the podcast. I've told this story so many times that you probably know it by heart by now, but I'll reveal it to the pod listeners. So throughout the year, I was just curious about Doug Marone's fourth down theory and what he would do because he would like to punt a lot. And so I would always ask him in press conference, like, "Okay, this situation, exact situation, why, why did you punt here?" And then, and then after one of the press conferences where I where I asked him about it, he he was walking with me um, right after the press conference and goes, "I like that you ask that stuff. I really do, because then it gives me the opportunity to explain myself." I'm like, "Perfect. I'll, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna keep on asking it." So this Denver game, right? Um, they wind up punting, down 14, with six and a half minutes to go, I believe, in Denver territory. And it's like, what the hell was that? And so everybody was like, why are you punting here, Doug? This makes no sense whatsoever. And so I go to to the press conference sitting next to Fairburn here. I ask him, you know, situation, why'd you punt here? And... His immediate—I re- didn't even get done with the question. His immediate response was going, oh, while rolling I his eyes. I have never
2: been one hundred percent convinced that he was rolling his eyes at the question. What? I have never been one hundred percent convinced. Hang on, because he was kind of—it looked almost like he had a crink in his neck and oh, like. Oh no! But. Like, knowing Doug, he would roll his eyes. So yeah, that's right. where It's, exactly. like, it's he hard to give him the benefit of the doubt. Even though, he,
0: even though he encouraged right. the question, which begs the question in itself, was he actually encouraging the question, or did he just want to tell me what I wanted to hear?
2: Doug was very good at telling everybody what they wanted to hear a lot of the time. He, and just being, you know, one of those guys that... that so he's trying to convince you he's just a normal guy. Remember the time was when he really gave not. me
1: the, uh, the Swedish fish? He had <laughs> Swedish fish at the podium one time, and he's like, hey, do you want some? I was like, sure. I took a handful of Swedish fish during the press conference. Wow. Well, there's also that time, I think it was the end of his first year, so 2013. I forget. What what the hell did Tim write? It was something, oh, it was questioning when EJ was hurt at the end of the year like it was like the third time he injured his knee that year, and I think Whaley said or um, Marone said there was like a hundred and ten percent chance, or he's hundred and ten percent confident he would play in that final Patriots game. Yeah, and he didn't. Yes, and Thad Lewis played instead, and it was at the airport, the Buffalo airport, like the prior aviation uh, hangar <laughs> where they called Tim Graham in and like the back room, like people, an interrogation
0: style. People will know this as Tim Graham's come to Jesus meeting. Right. Where Marone... And Did he tell this story
2: yeah. on the podcast? He, he, no, I know he told podcast. it on the radio. He yeah. told it on his podcast yeah, several yeah. years ago. And yeah,
1: that's yeah. when, like, the former PR guy, Scott Birchtold and Marone, both sat him down, like, you know, in this dark room with the, probably the light bulb hanging over, flickering, and questioning him on this story. And I think eventually Tim was like, oh, well, if you have a PR guy here, then why is my Buffalo News representative not here? And so Birchtold apparently left. And at that point, Marone kind of... Completely changed his tune and made it seem like it wasn't even his deal to begin with. That it was, it was the PR deal, and Marone didn't really care about the story himself. Um, but of course, you know, as soon as they sat down, Marone led into some dip, which he was known to do as well.
2: Well, he's just a normal guy. He, <laughs> he is a normal guy. What,
0: what about what about you? Got a Marone story that uh, kind of sticks out to you, Matthew?
2: I never had a huge problem with Marone. I only dealt with him for a year. I remember. I think it was Pagula's ownership press conference. Were you sitting there? Oh yeah. Was he, it? He which one of it was you? I he didn't it was, have a seat, it was all of us. and he came up to us. I think it might have been just me and Joe at first, and was telling all these stories. The same thing. Just telling all these stories to convince you he was just a normal guy, Right. I think, to some extent, he was. He's much yeah. better at. Um, Conveying that now yeah. than he was, he wasn't very good at it. But I remember that that being one of those moments where I was like, you know, this guy's not, not a bad guy. He was so moody in press conferences. though. Yes, I he remember was. I first got here. You know, nobody like introduced me to him or anything, and that whole first week was when he was being like an asshole right. at the podium. Like, wouldn't say yeah, anything so when about
1: John Wara would have was. Questioning him was Mario Williams. Mario Williams,
2: yeah, and it became like a big issue, and he like wasn't talking, and I was like, man, this guy's gonna be a a pleasure to deal with. But he ended up being okay. And remember, we saw him at the combine too after um, Mm -hmm. after he left, and he was cordial with us and and hung out for a little while. But yeah, he was sliding scale of
1: authenticity. I think he was probably still better than Rex. Yeah, Easily. oh, 100%. Rex is...
0: Great segue, Rodak. A little bit of that. Great segue. And, and by the way, Marone, Marone has gotten miles better um, down 100%. in percent And so I don't want to discredit what he's done down there. I mean, he's he's definitely turned it around. Like I said, I Especially hearing stories him. from the Jags writers and, and stuff like that. And I never really had a big problem with Doug either. I, I just wanted to know what, what he was thinking about a lot of times. And it was just... I also thought it was pretty funny to because he's very expressive in photographs. So yes. I, I always thought it was very funny to tweet photographs of him during different moments. Of and he had
2: Jim Schwartz as his uh, defensive coordinator when I was here, and he was a treat as well. Yes. Oh, when he got
1: carried off the field when they yeah. won in Detroit, I remember asking players in the locker room like if that was something he wanted them to do, and all the guys like his Randell Johnson and Ty Powell, Randell the linebackers, Johnson. like oh yeah, like Schwartz told us in the meeting like he wanted to, to do it, and. Then, Somebody asked Schwartz the next week, and he claimed that it was like not, he had nothing to do with it. You know, it wasn't any of his uh, his doing getting carried off the field, which I think a lot of people saw as a little bit embarrassing. Yeah, the and I think four
2: I think he was a little bit embarrassed by it after the fact. <laughs> right. But man, that guy was something else. Yeah, that was a fun team to cover. Honestly, yeah. they like as. I know they haven't been very good in the six years you've covered them, and the five years I've covered them. But that might have been their best They have team. been interesting.
1: I honestly think like that team was slightly better than the 2017 team. that also went nine and seven.
0: Because
1: mm. I think Kyle Orton was better as a passer than Tarad Taylor. As much as Kyle Orton was a bit of a limp dick, I mean when he just <laughs> slid. <laughs> Remember the Denver game when he slid like, short of the first down just because, you know, he's Kyle Orton. He's like he has some Jay Cutler in him. Keep in mind,
0: everyone, this is quite literally the last bit of media
1: that Rodak. See, is Tim going Graham to claimed that that was the show, and uh, last week, this past week, whatever. Little did he know. Right, he claimed that it was his my last media obligation. But well, somebody I, asked, I asked I me have for Kyle Orton's. Orton's
2: phone or phone number or how to get in touch with Kyle Orton the other day oh, and I was nice like story. best of luck I was man. like I'll pray for you you what? know what
1: somebody I think it was Liz Merrill from ESPN Magazine asked me I didn't have it but then she published a story about I think it was Doug Marone and I think she got a quote from Kyle Orton somehow he must be in somewhere in is Iowa, very good, but, mm-hmm. but that's another Bill's memory Kyle Lorton when he retired and you know everybody's heard his story by right now but the wallet in his locker and he comes yep. by and says he'll be back in five minutes and <laughs> I mean, that's Never top five, out. like, Bills moments. I think Vontae Davis is probably up there. Uh, just weird Bill stories that only happen here.
0: Well, let's get into Rex. Yeah, let's get into Rex. Let's, Rex,
1: let's get into Rex, because that, that, that was... I would say of all my six years, those two years, by far, is when ESPN cared about Buffalo the most. And that's when they, by extension, sort of cared about me the most in terms of going to me on TV <laughs> and wanting stories from me on certain things, because Rex <laughs> is a big effing deal. I'm trying to figure out where to even begin with this guy because
0: that was, like, I I, I don't know about you guys. I often get asked, what was it like to, yes. to cover that guy? Right. And I'm not like, sure I have a good answer. I'm just like...
2: Surreal at times. Right. I, I the way he like, would behave.
0: I, I can't believe that I lived those two years. <laughs> uh, professionally. I can't believe that I lived those two years because it was just something different every single day, it right. seemed like. I mean, you would have the exceptions where they were off on Saturdays, but even sometimes on Saturdays they would do right. something that well, that
1: kind of flared up. The conference call where he busted it up. With that old man. Granted, Doug Marone also did the same thing. I forget who they were talking to. It was somebody who Marone knew, but... When Rex came into the media room and was talking to Edelman, asking him questions in the conference call. I remember hearing from people back in New England, the Patriots are pissed about that. Oh, that Rex was doing it? Yeah. Rex was asking questions about the opposing with two of the opposing player. Mm. Um, he did yeah, he, I mean the skydiving, the going to the big tree, the eating, eating, a, dog, eating dog biscuits. Biscuit. Skydiving
0: was when he was on top. Right. Of Buffalo. It's like, I can do no wrong, I'm the gonna stupid
1: truck he drove around. Oh my god, I remember trying oh, to the find that truck. <laughs> So my when he got fired, go on Prescott Rossi from um, CBS affiliate in Rochester who went to Rex's house right after he got fired trying yeah. to get a quote. I think he closed the door on him. But uh, my Prescott's boss a nice guy. <laughs> my boss told me because he had the stupid truck painted with the Bills colors. My boss had me like try to figure out what happened to it. So I had nothing better to do. It was the first week of January, right after the season ended. He had been fired for a week. I remember driving to his house and looking in his driveway. It wasn't there. I remember driving to the airport and I walked around the parking lot of the airport thinking maybe he like went on a trip and he parked his <laughs> truck there, seeing if it was still there. Like I drove around the city for like four hours and he could not find his truck. And then I mean, searched Twitter and I remember finding a picture of it. He like stripped all the Bill stuff off. It had like one little Clemson logo and this big white monster truck. how stupid, like, not to like belittle the story. I think it was a good story for ESPN to do, but just like the... It was always a side show with Rex. It was always something
2: else. Yeah, it was fun to cover him in the sense that he was always saying stupid things. He had a lot of players who were willing to say whatever the hell they wanted, and he didn't care. But it was a pain in the ass to cover him from the standpoint of trying to build any sort of relationship with the guy because Mm -hmm. he was such a phony, like... From the moment he got there, I felt like he was just so fake. Right. And did he know? Did he know
0: either of your names? Not to say that's like a, a marker. <sighs> I don't even sure if he did. Yeah. I, I, he definitely. I
1: don't did think not he gave nearly a crap about us as he probably did in New York media when he was there. Right. I think he probably looked down upon us. Um.
2: Almost right away. Right. Too. Like it was like he, almost on on the whole. City, and in some ways, the whole idea of being in Buffalo, he was a New York guy, he had succeeded in New York, and right. and this was going to be no big deal, uh, and he was going to you know show show Buffalo how it was done, and right. obviously, he did not, but well, I will tell you what, after that first game, I was like, oh my god, this might actually work. That Colts game? With that was, I think, the most Well, they went 2-0 team. to start that year. Didn't they lose the second game? No, you're right. They the lost. Patriots, was, Patriots game, But yeah. going into the Patriots game, it was like... The most anticipation that for that week. game. Oh,
1: when they had, that was right after Deflate Gate. So they had the, the uh, pumps and the, the pumps uh, and the, yeah. <laughs> I remember doing a story on that. That turned into a huge
2: deal. Um, they were going to try to break the noise record, I yeah, think. Yeah. And they had no shot because of the acoustics of the stadium. Yeah. And they tried and it was pretty loud. I went down into the bowl for right. the first couple drives just to, you know, see how loud it was since we're, you know, boxed in there in the press box. And, uh, yeah, it, af- but after that Colts game, I remember thinking, man, this team might be good. Mm. And I actually thought that was probably the most fun team to cover, just in the yeah. sense of like on the field, they were an exciting team. Oh, that game, they just lost their shit. Aaron Williams
1: was committed all these penalties, oh, that's even right. the week before. Like, yes. Aaron was talking. Corey about how much Graham he, was a part of this. Yeah, yeah. Was that he when he got hurt? Patriots? or was the next year when he got. It, hurt? Was, it, right? that it was, was that game when he got hurt. It
0: was that game. Oh yes, the Patriots. Right, right. He's He's diving. He lost his mind that game. Right.
1: Um, even the whole week before, Marcel talking about how much you hate the Patriots. I mean, all the Marcel stuff to begin with. Yeah. I mean, that year, that week, I think, was the height of like the excitement in this town, even with the exception of the week they made the playoffs. Right, yeah. 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 But like regular season-wise, that week might have been the height of my six years. That Patriots game, the second game with Rex, at home, a nice day in September. I would Everything honestly say cut. the
2: anticipation for that game was more than... Any, including that week 17 game when they made the playoffs, because there was so much uncertainty that had to happen, and they weren't, you know, you weren't sure if they were going to get the help. People were more interested in watching the Ravens almost because it was, you know, a foregone conclusion that the Bills would beat the Dolphins. But that week going into the Patriots game was wild.
0: What I will say is, I know this was before both of you guys got here, but that year that they started the season and and they beat the Raiders last second. I think this was 11. I think it was 2011. They beat the Raiders last second in a comeback way. I think the game ended up being like 38 to 35. Then the next week they beat the Patriots right. at home right where, at- where Fred goes down at the at the freaking right. half yard line, which ended up being the best thing they could have because then they ran the rest of the clock and, and kicked a field goal and, and won the game. Mm-hmm. And that to me was, the apex yeah. of where this team was outside of that Week 17 mm-hmm. game because it was it was, the fever here for that team because they had started the year 3-0 with a win over the Patriots, which they had not done in several years.
1: Not since 03.
0: Right. So it was nine years. They, beat, years. they beat Brady. Belichick was throwing a fit along the sidelines. It was and, four picks for Brady. Right. It, everything went right for them yeah. in that game, and it was just – That was that to me was the top of the mountain, as opposed to the you know the the week seventeen in Miami thing.
1: Let's not forget. So Rex's second year, they do that stupid documentary, Rex and Rob reunited. (laughs) Oh yeah, (laughs) forgot all uh, about Rob. Right. I do need to circle
0: back to the dog biscuit at some point. (laughs) Right. That was
1: the beginning of the second year too. Um, But yeah, so they do that documentary, and we were in Baltimore, and that was when Tyrod played like you know, flaming horse shit, probably threw for like <laughs> 110 yards. I think it was the worst... Rodak's feeling it. The worst game for both <laughs> quarterbacks. since like JP in 06 in terms of like yards or yards per attempt or whatever the, the... He would was. be outdone, though. He would be. Um. So, yeah, I, I remember coming back that Monday night and watching that documentary that it aired, I think, Friday night or maybe Saturday. And that's when you have the whole speech that Rex yes. would be the first motherfucker to go if something went wrong (laughs) so something did go wrong they lost the ravens and he was right they lost to the uh the
2: the jets that following on thursday Thursday. night football fired greg roman
1: fired greg roman yeah that's
0: when i asked and uh, that was yes because i was i remember i recall i was driving to one of my good friends wedding wedding, and on the way there it's hey greg roman got fired can you send us a video from the side of the road, breaking it down? I'm like, sure. Well, yes. shit, sure.
2: I remember going, and I remember asking Rex the question of, you know, uh, I quoted him without, you know, saying motherfucker in a press conference, but I said, you know, you said you'd be the first one to go if something went wrong. Uh, you're not. So <laughs> does that not. message ring a little bit hollow? And he was just like, that was... The beginning of the end, oh, I think, totally for Rex nice. because he seemed so defeated. Usually he would come out and, like, spar with us, essentially. Like, if, right. if you threw tough questions at him, he would, you know, get all agitated. But he was so defeated that day, and he got more and more defeated as the season and, went yeah, on. Yeah, that Raiders game where
1: they were up, like, two or three touchdowns, and they lost. And then I think they came back, that Steelers game where they lost in overtime. When they only had, which one did they only have 11? No, Steelers <laughs> they just ran over to them. Steelers Mm -hmm. ran over the Bills. It was the Um, Dolphins? It was the Dolphins. It was Christmas Mm -hmm. Eve when it was overtime. They only had 10 guys in the field. And (laughs) J.H.I. ran like 70 yards. I forgot about the 10 guys. That's the next day where Rex came out for his Monday press conference. And he looked like... He just went through a, a fucking bender. Like, <laughs> his hair was all messed up. Right, and
0: that's when he right. came out and said, as long as I'm the coach, Tyrod is the starter. Right. Didn't he say something along those he did. lines? He yes. and then,
1: so he gets fired the very next day. It was Tuesday. <laughs> I was sitting in um, Hamburg Barbershop. It wasn't Lindsay, you know, your great hairdresser. It was the other girl who works there. She's a barber. And I had was to, it, Amanda? Amanda. Yeah, and I, had to, I was live on SportsCenter on my phone as she was cutting my hair. Um, so then, yeah, the next day, Anthony Humble Lynn bread. is now <laughs> is now the head coach of the Bills, and he comes out on Wednesday, and somebody I think it was Vic Carucci asked him, you know, who's going to be your starting quarterback? And this is after Schefter had already reported it was going to be EJ Manuel. Anthony Lynn says, uh, "Cardale Jones, uh, no, no, uh, EJ Ma- or EJ Manuel." He, like, completely botched it. And Anthony Lynn's a good guy. He was just nervous. And a good coach. And a good coach. I think he was just
2: nervous. Absolutely. And, um, Anthony Lynn's one of the best humans I've dealt with in this I think, this yeah, yeah. I think in this, in this business.
1: So then they go down to New York. They're playing with EJ. EJ sucks. They benched him. They, they play Cardale. That was the game where Mike Gillisley let the kickoff just dribble. It was also the game where Tyrod was there and he showed up pre-game with, hood.
0: with a hood over. Right. And he, like, I took video of him and he gave... My camera. That was death glare. That was the low point, I think, of the Bills that week. And then the day after, for locker room cleanout day, right. Tyrod unpacked on the Bills for the first way, first time he's ever done anything of note through yeah. the media. And, and
2: not, he had, he did have an injury, right? He had some sort went. of groin that he had, a, had to yeah, go surgery. get surgery on. Because I remember, I was at the airport. But that was why they were sitting him to protect right. themselves against his. He went to Philly a couple days later,
1: and. Uh, he had to fly down for the surgery. I remember being on the same plane as him. I don't think he really said much to me that day. Um, <laughs> but so Monday after that Jets game, I think it was Lockhand 4 reporting that, like, Anthony Lynn's going to be the favorite to take the job or whatever. And I'm texting with Anthony Lynn as Lockhand 4 is tweeting about this. And Anthony Lynn saying, like, yeah, I don't really know if I, if I want to stay here. They kind of gave me a raw deal with uh, having to start E.J. Manuel. <laughs> so as it turns out, he didn't stay here. And I think yeah. it's probably... For worked the out for him. It but, sure has,
2: but. and it's worked out okay for the Bills too. Right. And you wonder what would have happened.
0: And he got Tyrod Taylor back, and he did right. So. <laughs> yeah, but right.
2: you wonder what would have happened if they kept him because maybe Doug Whaley survives because Anthony Lynn's a little bit more of, you know, right. his guy or whatever. And Anthony Lynn didn't seem to be wanting all that power. But man, if they just treated him with any sort of respect, you know, the that week that he was the coach, you know, then. Right. Then he would have. Uh, that was the low point. He probably point. would have wanted to stick around. But. Last,
0: last bit I want to get into. The press conference.
2: Oh, you, you, you so know what I'm talking the about. Next day, the, oh, yeah. the
0: press conference. Doug Whaley, 45 minutes, right? Just left out there by himself,
1: right? It was, it was just an onslaught yeah. of questions he asking him. Oh. What do you, What is it you do here? What is it you do I here? Had, I had another NFL GM texting me with like, oh my God, I can't believe how much of a train wreck this is. Just watching it himself. Everyone. It right. seemed
0: like everyone was tuning in that, that day. I think even like Rappaport was like, right. what is happening in yeah. Buffalo right, right.
1: now? <laughs> you had that. Even the press conference, not to jump around, but the Marones one. that that year-ending press conference after 2014 when the report came out that he had that three-day clause Oh, true, right. And that's when Scott said, we're we're only going to ask questions about or accept questions about the 2014 season. So I think Tim asked, like, um, you're going to opt out of your contract, and that's when Scott said, no, no, only 2014 questions. And Tim comes back with, well, it was 2014 your last year as the Bills coach. (laughs) In classic Tim fashion. Of course, Marone dodged the question. He was gone two days later, but – yeah, that press conference, man, with Whaley, Yeah, that, that was bad. That was I mean.
2: something. I remember before that, that was also the, the height of, you mentioned it being a low point, but it was also sort of the height of fan angst. I felt like there yeah. was a divide among a lot of people over whether Whaley also deserved to go. There was mm-hmm. so much anger. They wanted, you know, it's not often that people want us to, you know, doing what we did that day and kind of going after them and mm-hmm. and pressing them for answers and trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Oftentimes, people are you know very pro team and anti media. Right. Um, they want particularly us to when go after them. I mean nobody knows better than than Rodak. But <laughs> I mean, you know, that was one of the times where it was like they were like, "Go get these guys! Like, figure right. out what the hell is going going right. on behind closed doors," because it was a complete mess right what a disaster what what was Whaley's go-to phrase in that I was not privy
0: I was not privy right I was not privy. at one time privily he said right because he was nervous which which, I don't blame him yeah I felt bad for him by the end of it because
2: it was like he was not prepared well at all and He was left out there trying to answer questions that he didn't have the answers to in some cases right. because the owners weren't out there.
1: I actually slightly feel bad for him. No. Because of that. Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely, absolutely.
2: I, I had. I definitely was, you know, and it went on so long. Yeah. When does a press conference go that long, particularly one that's not going well? Like, it, it,
0: at that point, when you see what is happening... For that long, like let's say it's going on for twenty five minutes. That's when that's when you go, all right guys, two questions. But that that was an all-timer. That was, that was I remember long. we we um, I forget the event we were at. Was it the owners' meetings or the combine, one or the other. We were it was the combine because we were talking about Tyler Dunn. Or with Tyler Dunn about it, and I remember going back and watching it when I got home that evening. I was up until 2 in the morning watching right. this press conference because it was just – it was so it was, it was damn beautiful. You can still – I think it, it it's on, it? on buffalobills.com, oh, they yes. probably left it out there. They did. Probably for a They did. It's still was. out there. But that, that was – if we're talking about most memorable times covering this team, that press conference – is right near the top of the list, I think.
1: I enjoyed uh, the following training camp, 2017, when uh, Tyrod was feeling a little bit, and he threw like a touchdown pass or something in practice, and he just runs down past the media and says, "Right about that." No,
0: he didn't say it to the media.
1: He said it to me. He said it to you because I had, I had kind of I had written about him a few days before and kind of lit into him. In fact, I think a few practices before that, he. It was like they're running a play, and he, he ran out of bounds. It was like a bootleg or whatever, straight towards me. Kept going towards me, and with his helmet on and everything, said, "We need to, we need to talk after practice." I was like, "All right, go on." <laughs> right. So then, you know, practice is over. I go over and talk to him. Like, hey, buddy, what's up? And and just basically you didn't like, call lit. him buddy. Yeah, I no. you or into maybe he did. He lit that into me about what I wrote, and I remember Zay Jones was there and was like backing him up, basically saying like. It wasn't all Tyrod's fault that, you know, Zay was trying to take blame for a missed throw or something. And I think I basically said to him, like, look, like, I've seen what it looks like. <laughs> I've seen what a good passing offense looks like in training camp. And I'm like, this has a ways to go. And that's when Tyrod was kind of saying, well, you know, I've had three coordinators or whatever it was at the time. And, Which um, are I'm true And trying to things. learn a new offense. And he's trying to get me to cut some slack. but
2: You're not know. one to do that.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the things. Like, there's still people defending Tyrod at that point, and I don't know if my opinions were popular at the time. But you ask anybody, anybody about Tyrod now, and it's like, well, that guy was a, you know, wasn't fit to be an NFL starting quarterback.
0: No, he he wasn't. But I mean, it, he wasn't. He wasn't without flaws, but right. he also was better than I guess replacement. Like, I mean, we're talking about a starter that. Is somewhere between twenty four and thirty two, right? Uh, on a, on an NFL team, right? Or throughout the NFL, I mean, he may never
1: play with the Chargers. I mean, Phil yeah.
0: Rivers hasn't missed a game. Yeah, he's, ever. he's signed a great gig.
1: Right.
2: I remember when his agent called me and lost his mind because I ranked the starting quarterbacks in the NFL, and I'm trying to remember where I put Tyrod. I want to say it was like eighteen ish, mm. eighteen to twenty, which felt fair, right. borderline generous. Yeah, um, and. Oh man, he got Deesa. After him. yeah, Adisa Bakari, who's, who's Le'Veon Bell's. Agent he's player. done a splendid job uh, the Managing. last couple of years with watching <laughs> contract situation. Great, great agent. <laughs>
0: well, yes. So it uh, it has been an eventful um, past six years mm-hmm. for for Michael. Past five for Fairburn, and uh, I think Too many th- for you. I think this is going to be my tenth season coming up, um, but. You know, it, uh, I, I suppose it's, uh, that's that's why we signed up to do the gig, because it's, it's kind of fun. And also, for you, I hope you guys have enjoyed all of these um, anecdotes, yeah, going down memory lane, because, you know, it's better to go back and laugh about it all than just to keep getting pissed off about all of it, because right. there's a lot to be pissed off about.
2: Well, things the, are better now. And, things
1: are more in right, control. Yeah, <laughs> they are. And also, like, some of this stuff, like, we can't really talk about when it actually happens oh yeah. or you know i guess ethical reasons if it's not on the record per se but also um you know we're still covering those people in this case like it's like when you write a book like you're gonna talk about a lot more that's mm-hmm. kind of in the past right and i think we're a lot comfortable a lot more comfortable talking about it.
0: absolutely so michael six years it's been yep what's been your favorite part
1: my favorite part of covering the team, or my favorite memory? Yeah, I think Vontae Davis still has to up there. I yeah, mean, that was pretty good. Just nobody knew. Well, we were even looking during yeah, the game. We're yeah. like, all right, where is that guy? I said, where's
0: twenty two? And then I went up to then I went up to Boyko, right. the, the PR guy, and I'm like, hey, uh, does I don't see Vontae Davis on the sideline? Is there some an inju- something injury? And he goes, not injury related. Here and I immediately go. we're like. Fing! Yeah, what
1: happened? What's going on? But even then, like it didn't like Sean kind of hinted at it, but didn't say it outright. It was Lorenzo in the locker room, and that's when my day got really busy. After that, after Lorenzo, all our days got busy. Well, it was funny because
2: I was in the Chargers' locker room, and Philip Rivers, Keenan Allen, and Melvin Gordon were joking about it. Philip Rivers came up and he was like, "He quit. He just left. Like Mm -hmm. we beat him so bad, he quit." And I was like. I had texted Tim because I didn't know if it was out there. And I was like, keep this quiet. Don't ask Sean about it. But, like, sniff around on this. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Vontae Davis just left. Mm-hmm. And then, so we went into the Bills locker room, and then Lorenzo and Kyle went off, and it was like, well, this isn't going to be I'm under wraps anymore. Yeah, but my most uh, <laughs> viewed video ever, I think, on YouTube.
1: Those millions and millions of hits from that Lorenzo video. Wow. That, so. that was
0: a wild day. And, uh... Don't know if that will ever be duplicated.
2: I don't think so. Yeah. It, it was... That would it, be funny if it, beca- it became a trend, though. Right. Yeah. I mean... guy's just leaving at that. He, he put Dre Archer to shame. He did. Vontae Davis.
1: Oh, Dre Archer. Yeah. You should have him on the podcast. Uh, if anyone that would can be find a hell him. of a get. Yeah, I know. Right.
0: No one has found him since, since he has uh, stood up the bills. They still have his rights. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, Michael, it has been an outstanding six years, my friend. Thank you. Um, Same here And on a personal level I think it was always a bit of a fucking shame For the amount of guff (laughs) that that people gave to you Um, And you took it all in stride And I don't think a lot of people realize How he kind of uh, compartmentalizes this stuff And just learns to laugh about it It entertains me It it does And it's a testament to his character So good on you man Thank you We're going to miss you here yeah, it won't be the same without you. It's certainly not. So, this has been your time on the Bills beat. It's been fun. I have nothing
1: left to say. Harry. it a hell of a farewell tour. Michael's been a uh, uh, no, farewell tour It's been like tour Derek Jeter. Forever. I feel like every yeah, ballpark I've, I've gone to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Harry,
0: how'd Dad do? Anything? He says, my dad needs to feed me. Yeah. It, dad, let's get the hell out of here, is what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. Um So, Michael, thank you. Good luck with everything, I'm sure. We'll be, we'll be talking to you. We'll, we'll, we'll float you an extended invite to the Bills Beat whenever you want to come maybe in. I'll, Only if
1: you subscribe. Maybe I'll just show up in Buffalo one day. If I'm a
2: house husband, There's I'll just, just no fly way show up, up
1: and I'll walk into Elmo's one night. You'll probably find me there.
2: <laughs> and if your mother ever wants to join the show as well, yes. open invitation. There's now an open. <laughs>
0: um, also, uh, this is going to be our last episode until probably... Mid to late July, right before training camp starts, because one, Matthew Fairburn is getting married next weekend. Woo! Matthew Fairburn, um, and so he'll be uh, he'll be a bit busy this this coming week and the weekend, and with the honeymoon after that. I will also be on vacation, so I, we hope that this episode has you know filled the void for you because uh, we're we're gonna. Go uh, enjoy life a little bit for for a few weeks, and then and then we'll be back talking Bill's training camp.
2: We'll be back in full force. And all that good long. stuff. Michael not, but uh, not Michael. but he, he's... Uh, I have a feeling we'll still get some <laughs> some input from Michael. Oh, absolutely. He's going <laughs> to sign message. up for the Red Zone channel. He's he not going to be able to look away. I, I know him too well. I, I want to get NHL center eyes just to watch the Sabres this year. Yeah, Michael's become a big Sabers buff as wow. well. Wow! Weird. Uh, Look at you. Fascination though. I have. Wow. But yeah. Wow. Well, on that note. Yeah,
0: exactly. So Mike is done. We're done for a few weeks. Thank you, everyone, for listening to uh, this episode of the Bills Beat, and we will talk to you next when we get closer to training camp. See you then.